Welcome to Radar Contact, the audio show that teaches pilots how to speak professionally and with confidence to air traffic control. And now, here's your host, airline pilot, author, and host of ATCCommunication.com, Jeff Canarish. In our last Radar Contact show, I asked you to fill out a two-question survey. The survey asked you to give me your opinion about declaring an emergency with ATC, and the question was this. Your aircraft develops a serious mechanical problem that requires you to descend immediately and land. If you could not immediately descend and land due to traffic in your area, would you hesitate to declare an emergency with ATC? Here are the results. To date, 291 people have taken the survey. 21.43%, a little over 21% of those who took the survey, said they would hesitate to declare an emergency. Think about that. Of every 100 pilots who are confronted with an emergency, 21 of them would not immediately declare an emergency, even though the situation called for it. So the next question is, obviously, why? Why would those 21 pilots hesitate to declare an emergency? And that is exactly what I asked in question number two of the survey. Here are some of the answers to that question. And I'm quoting each of these. Fear of an FAA investigation. Of any repercussions that the FAA may try to impose on you if they find you are deficient in any of your training or actions. Fear of criticism. What if I'm wrong and it's not an actual emergency? I would be afraid that it may turn out that I actually did not have an emergency. Thus, I would be falsely declaring an emergency. What if it wasn't a real emergency and I was just being dumb and missed something? Fear of an FAA investigation. My actual answer is, maybe if I thought that declaring an emergency would result in my having to be investigated and or sanctioned by the FAA. Isn't this the answer you expected? There were other answers, but they all boiled down to these two concerns. Either the pilot was worried that declaring an emergency might not be the right course of action because the problem might not be an actual emergency, or the pilot said he would hesitate for fear of an FAA investigation at some point after the emergency was concluded. I'll get back to those answers in a moment. First, I need to explain why it has taken so long from the time I issued this survey to now when I'm finally able to tell you about the results. After all, pilots began taking the survey within minutes of its publication more than a month ago. The reason it has taken so long to tell you about the results is because I gave the results of the survey to the FAA and asked for a response. Wait a minute. I did what? I gave your survey answers to the FAA? The very survey answers that I said would remain anonymous? Calm down there, Skippy. I didn't give the FAA any names because the survey was anonymous. I don't know who answered the questions, and neither does the FAA. All I did was tell the FAA what I told you. 21% of the people who took the survey said they would hesitate to declare an emergency, and all the reasons given pointed to one thing. Some pilots are afraid of negative consequences that may result from declaring an emergency. And I attempted contact by email two weeks after the survey was issued. It took another three weeks before I got my first response from the FAA. 
I first heard from Kevin Clover from the FAA's national safety team, and he said this, and I'm quoting, The most important thing for pilots to know is that if they have an emergency, it can only be helpful to let their extended crew at ATC know about it. In many instances, controllers' actions, once they understand the emergency, have been responsible for saving lots of personal property and many lives. He goes on to say, Pilots should also understand that the FAA has a responsibility to investigate violations of the FARs and unsafe practices regardless of how they learn of these events. So it is possible the FAA would conduct a post-incident investigation after a pilot declares an emergency if it appears that a violation or unsafe practice exists. However, he says, the FAA has no policy that requires an investigation after each declaration of emergency. Are you hearing that? The FAA has no policy that requires an investigation after each declaration of an emergency. He concludes with this. The bottom line is, during an emergency, the pilot should be focused on doing everything he or she can to ensure a safe and successful resolution to the problem, not on whether the FAA may choose to investigate. I next heard from Carl Johnson, who is the Acting Deputy Division Manager of the General Aviation Commercial Division of the FAA's Flight Standard Service. He said this, and I'm quoting again, With regard to the concerns expressed by pilots in your survey, an FAA investigation can be initiated for many reasons and is not limited to those cases where an emergency was declared. In all cases, however, the intent of an FAA investigation is to determine what went wrong, why, and to prevent similar events in the future. Although an investigation may in certain cases lead to an enforcement action when necessary, the FAA does not initiate any investigation with enforcement as the sole driver or intent. He goes on to say, We appreciate the information you provided regarding the survey you conducted. As a result, we plan to review this issue further to determine if additional clarity can be given to the pilot community in order to reduce hesitation to declare an emergency for fear of an investigation. And that's exactly why I wanted you to take that survey, because I wanted to get the FAA's intention, attention on this issue, and I wanted to develop some sort of wider program that can reach out to those pilots that are still worried about these kinds of things. I mean, I could tell you don't worry, but it's really better to hear it directly from the FAA. So hopefully this whole transaction and your input into the survey has initiated something good that's going to help pilots at large. In his email to me, Mr. Johnson also pointed me to a section in the Aeronautical Manual that specifically addresses this issue of hesitation to declare an emergency. You can look at it yourself. It's in Chapter 6, specifically Paragraph 6-1-2, and the title of that paragraph is Emergency Condition Request Assistance Immediately. And the Aeronautical Information Manual says most pilots will not hesitate to clear an emergency when the emergency is very clear-cut, such as a fire, mechanical failure, or some sort of structural damage. And the manual goes on to say, and here I'm quoting, some are reluctant to report an urgency condition when they encounter situations which may not be immediately perilous but are potentially catastrophic. In other words, you know, there's situations where 
man, this doesn't feel right and it may get really bad, but I'm not really sure if this is an emergency situation. It's those kinds of situations where pilots hesitate. So the AIM goes on to say, and again, I'm quoting, an aircraft is in at least an urgency condition the moment the pilot becomes doubtful about position, fuel endurance, weather, or any other condition which could adversely affect flight safety. And then Manuel says, this is exactly the time you should be asking for help. It's not the time to sit there and second-guess yourself. Now, let me add my own voice. I want to speak directly to you if you said you would hesitate to declare an emergency if you weren't sure about this situation. If you're worried about your situation and unsure of the outcome, it's an emergency, period. Even if things turn out better than you first expected, no big deal. Just cancel your emergency. That's right. You heard me. If you declare an emergency and then you find out you really don't have an emergency or the problem was fixed, you're completely and legally correct to cancel your emergency. Let me tell you how I know this. Although it doesn't happen too often, modern airliners can and have lost cabin pressurization while in flight. If the jet is flying at high altitude when cabin pressurization is lost, it is important it is imperative, actually, to start an immediate descent to an altitude at or below 10,000 feet. Why? Because with loss of cabin pressurization, there is not enough oxygen in the, in the air at high altitude for people to breathe. With loss of cabin pressurization and no supplemental oxygen, that is oxygen you breathe through a mask connected to an oxygen tank, a person will lose consciousness within a matter of minutes. If the plane continues at altitude... In this condition, people on board will begin to die. There is no doubt that this is an emergency situation. So the pilot in command declares an emergency and requests an immediate descent from ATC to 10,000 feet or lower. ATC grants the request, moves other aircraft out of the way, and the airliner comes plunging down to 10,000 feet. Once at 10,000 feet cabin altitude, passengers and crew can remove their oxygen masks because there is enough natural oxygen in the ambient air to breathe and function normally. The crisis is over, and therefore the emergency is over, provided no one on the aircraft had any complications from the loss of cabin pressurization either. At this point, the pilot in command is perfectly legal to say to ATC, cancel our emergency status. Now, when I say this, I'm not speaking to an airline policy about canceling or retaining emergency status after loss of cabin pressurization. Some airlines and some airline captains will keep their emergency status all the way to landing. What I am saying is, even in a real crisis like loss of cabin pressurization, when an emergency where an emergency declaration is clearly needed, a pilot in command may always cancel the emergency once the emergency is over. So, if you were one of the pilots who answered the survey by saying you would hesitate to declare an emergency because what if it isn't a real emergency? I say, declare the emergency anyway. If it turns out the problem was not real, or you fixed the problem on your own before landing, you are perfectly legal and welcome to cancel your emergency at any time, and there will be absolutely no consequences or criticism of your action. Now, since I use that word consequences, and it came up in the survey, let's talk about consequences. More than 35 years ago, when I was learning to fly, my flight instructor and some of my friends told me to be careful about declaring an emergency. 
35 years ago, I got the message that the FAA might come knocking on my door if I declared an emergency. They would want to see my logbook. They would want to investigate my training experience. If I owned the aircraft, they would look through its maintenance records with a fine-tooth comb. And if they found anything wrong, I would be subject to a review board and possibly be fined and have my license suspended or revoked. Now, 35 years later, I'm finding some pilots are still getting that message, only I now know that message is a crock of excrement. In all of those years, having declared 10 different emergencies with ATC, I have never had my logbook checked, never had my training reviewed, never had my aircraft's maintenance records audited, never been brought before a review board, never heard so much as a peep from the FAA. I know I didn't do everything perfectly during each emergency. I'm sure I wasn't flawless. I know ATC had to push a bunch of other airplanes out of my way as I made a beeline for the runway. And despite all that, I have never been investigated for anything. On a few occasions, I did have to make a written report of the emergency and submit it to the manager of the ATC facility that handled my emergency because the regs, specifically 91.123 paragraph D says, I'm required to do this if ATC asks for it. You know why the ATC manager needs that report? So he can fill out in missing details in his own report of the incident. It's basic government paperwork and nothing more. Now, am I saying the FAA will never investigate you? No, that's not what I'm saying. If you fly recklessly or purposely violate a regulation outside of the emergency, the FAA is going to come calling. As Mr. Clover said in his email to me, pilots should also understand that the FAA has a responsibility to investigate violations of the FARs and unsafe practices regardless of how they learn of those events. But you may also realize that during an emergency, a pilot in command is authorized to deviate from any rule contained in Part 91 of the FARs. Here's the quote from 91.3, paragraph B. In an in-flight emergency requiring immediate action, the pilot in command may deviate from any rule of this part to the extent required to meet that emergency, end quote. Let's say, after all of this discussion, you're still having doubts. You are still worried about putting your pilot's license on the chopping block if you declare an emergency. There is nothing I can say and there is nothing the FAA can say to you to relieve you of your concerns. Even if you're still worried, I can tell you there are solutions. One of these solutions is called a NASA ASAP report or Aerospace Safety Advisory Panel report. If you report your emergency within 10 days of the emergency via an ASAP report and you didn't intentionally do anything reckless or criminal, your report will act as a shield against civil penalties or action against your pilot's license. You may read the FAA's entire policy about self-reporting at the ASRS website, that's Aviation Safety and Reporting System website, where you may also submit reports online. I've put a link to that website and the FAA's enforcement policy in the show notes for this show. Finally, and though I hesitate to say this because you may think it's confirming your worries, there are aviation lawyers available to defend you against any actions taken by the FAA should you get yourself in hot water with the government. I point this out not because I think you will ever need one simply because you declared an emergency, 
but some people feel better knowing there are lawyers who specialize in aviation law and defending pilots. So let's wrap this up. If you're worried about flight safety, get help from ATC. Any situation that feels urgent, according to the FAA, is an emergency. The FAA says that right in the Aeronautical Information Manual. And once you do declare an emergency, you will become the air traffic controller's top priority and you will get all the help you need and probably help you didn't even know you needed to safely resolve your situation. I've talked to many air traffic controllers about this and they all say they are eager to help pilots in trouble. If you think about it, that makes sense. Most of what controllers do day to day is pretty routine. The opportunity to help a pilot in trouble is an exciting challenge that they welcome. They don't wish you bad things, but if you are in trouble, they're ready and willing to help. The opportunity to help a pilot in trouble is an exciting challenge that they welcome. They even give out an annual award called the Archie League Award to the air traffic controller who performed the best save of the year. That shows how much ATC values its role as a lifeguard of pilots and air passengers. And here's another thing I just recently learned, and maybe you knew this, maybe you didn't. I learned an air traffic controller can declare an emergency for you. That's right, even if you don't say the word emergency, an air traffic controller can put your flight under emergency status if he feels the need. I learned of this after discussing that accident that involved that Cicada TBM that lost cabin pressurization a couple of months ago. You recall that from our last radar contact show, the the TBM allegedly lost pressurization while cruising at 31,000 feet. I say allegedly because we haven't uh, received a full report on what actually happened yet from the NTSB. Uh, The pilot did not declare an emergency and was allowed to descend no lower than 25,000 feet because of traffic crossing its path at 24,000 feet. By the time ATC had a clear path for the TBM and authorized the pilot to descend lower, the pilot was either unconscious or fatally disoriented, and we think that's from lack of oxygen. The pilot continued on autopilot with the pilot unconscious at the controls until fuel ran out. At that point, the engine quit and the plane crashed into the ocean. In a discussion with air traffic controllers after this incident, I learned that a controller can declare an emergency for the pilot and use that status to immediately clear conflicting traffic out of his way. So we wondered why ATC didn't do that in this case. Then I realized the controller talking to the pilot of the TBM didn't fully understand the urgency of the situation. The pilot said to the controller, and this is a quote directly from the radio transcript, we have an indication in the plane that isn't right, end quote. So you wouldn't expect an air traffic controller to interpret that statement as an urgent or emergency condition. I mean, there's just not enough information there. Had the pilot followed the advice given in the aeronautical information manual, it says, any situation that causes a concern for flight safety is an urgency condition and an emergency should be declared, he might have survived his predicament. All right, I know what you're thinking. I know you're thinking it's easy for me to say this, sitting here comfortably in my chair at my desk in my quiet office. But frankly, this is what pilots do. We analyze and learn from other pilots' successes and errors. I think, regardless of what the actual problem was in the cockpit of the TBM, if the pilot urgently needed to descend to a lower altitude to resolve his situation, he should have declared emergency with ATC right away, no hesitation. I hope you agree with me. And if you don't, or if you do, 
and want to talk it over, please write to me at jeff at atccommunication.com. I'd love to hear from you. I'll conclude by quoting from one of the 79% who took the survey and said they would not hesitate to declare an emergency. Here is what one pilot said that sums it up best. As pilot in command, it is my duty to ensure the safety of the flight, and declaring an emergency would allow me to do this. End quote. A while back, I was part of a crew of three pilots in a 767-400 taxiing out to the runway at Madrid, Spain. We received taxi instructions that were so complicated that even with three of us in the cockpit looking at the airport diagram, we couldn't figure out what ATC wanted us to do. I keyed the microphone radio and asked the ground controller to repeat his instructions. On the second attempt, We thought we knew what he wanted us to do, so the captain pushed the throttles forward and we started taxiing. We got it almost all right until we approached the runway, where there were three different intersections that all led to the same place. As you might guess, we chose the wrong intersection. We still got to the runway without causing any interference, but the ground controller told us we did it wrong. So think about that. We had three pilots in the cockpit, two of us in control seats, and one sitting on the cockpit jump seat listening to the radio backing us up, and we still got our taxi instructions wrong. This is why this week, when I got an email from a newly licensed pilot who told me he was having trouble understanding taxi instructions, it didn't surprise me one bit. If you have been having trouble understanding taxi instructions, welcome to the club. I'm going to tell you, no matter how much experience you gain or how much you practice, there will still be times when you won't copy or understand taxi instructions perfectly on the first attempt. Try not to let this bother you. I mean, think about the situation. You are in your airplane almost at ground level. All you can see from where you sit at ground level is the taxiway in front of you and maybe a few taxiway signs. The ground controller has a bird's eye view of the airport and all of the aircraft on it from his perch in the tower. This may be the first time you've been to the airport in question, So you aren't familiar with the taxiway layout, but the ground controller knows every bump in every taxiway at his airport. This is his kingdom. You are just a visitor. You are sitting in a noisy, rocking airplane thinking about the flight ahead. The ground controller is standing in a stationary and relatively quiet room thinking only about the movement of aircraft on his airport. I'm not saying your job is harder than the ground controller's job, but you do have a lot on your plate. So, if your brain gets a muscle cramp when the ground controller says, Cessna 9130 Delta, runway 33, taxi via right Alpha, then join Bravo with a left on Alpha 1 and hold short of runway 26 on Bravo. Try not to sweat it too much. Instead, do what all pilots do in this situation. Would you please repeat the taxi instructions for Cessna 9130 Delta? And when ground control does repeat the instructions, write them down. Let me explain what I mean by writing them down, because that statement is not as simple as it seems. First, never write anything while taxiing. The reason for this should be obvious, but in case I'm speaking to someone who has never taxied an airplane before, I'll say the reason. In order to write, most people have to look at the place where they are writing. If you're looking at pen and paper, that means you aren't looking at the place where your airplane is pointing, namely the taxiway. So you wouldn't taxi with your eyes closed, 
and looking down at your paper to write while taxiing is just as bad. So don't write anything while the airplane is moving. The next important point is, when you write your taxi instructions on paper, don't write a book. Don't even write in whole sentences or even in whole words. Write as little as possible to make sense of your instructions. For example, if the ground controller tells you to taxi via right alpha and join Bravo with a left on alpha 1, for goodness sakes, don't write that out as a complete sentence. Simply write R for right, A for alpha, and L for left, and A1 for alpha 1, and a B for Bravo. By my count, that's five letters and one number on paper to describe a complicated taxi route. Now I know just listening to me spit off all those letters is a little bit hard to interpret, so I've put a few more examples of shorthand taxi notes in the show notes for this edition of Radar Contact. And if you happen to be listening to the show on iTunes, simply go to atccommunication.com, and the show notes for this show will either be on the homepage, or if you're listening to this a month or two past the time the show was recorded, you can find the show notes by going to the archives for Radar Contact using the menu tab at the top of the homepage for atccommunication.com. And if you like more practice writing taxi shorthand notes, I have a full explanation of how to do it, along with practice exercises in my workbook called Radio Mastery for VFR Pilots Workbook. You can find the workbook at amazon.com, and there's a link directly to the Amazon listing in the left column of any page at atccommunication.com. One last idea before we move on. Remember when I said the ground controller knows every bump in every taxiway at his airport? Of course you do, because I said that only a minute ago. Never mind, strike that question. (laughs) Anyways, my point is, it will really help your understanding of taxi instructions if you get familiar with the airport's taxiway layout before you call for taxi. The way I do that is to take the chart of the airport diagram, and I not only look at the taxiway diagram on the chart... I trace the route of routes with my finger, and I talk to myself like this. Okay, I'm parked right here, and there's the runway. I'm guessing the ground controller is going to have me taxi by a right turn here, then a left turn here, and then I'm going to have to either hold short or get clearance to cross this runway, and so on. I also usually take a minute or so to listen to the ground control frequency to see what other aircraft are getting for taxi instructions. Admittedly, listening to the frequency only works if there are other airplanes calling for taxi. If nothing else is moving outbound to the runway at the time you try to listen in, this technique isn't going to do anything for you, but it's worth trying because it may clue you in to your taxi routing even before you call for taxi. To sum up, if you don't understand your taxi instructions fully the first time, don't sweat it. Ask for a repeat. Write your taxi instructions on paper but only write when you have the airplane at a complete stop. Write as little as possible, but do make notes that make sense to you. I have suggestions and practice exercises in my book, Radio Mastery for VFR Pilots Workbook. And you might be able to get the big clue bird on how ground control will handle your aircraft by listening to taxi instructions given to other aircraft on the radio. That's it. Good luck, and write to me at jeff at atccommunication.com if you have any questions. And now, let's get to your question of the week. You are flying inbound towards the runway at Savannah, Georgia. The tower controller says to you, Runway 10, clear to land. Your landing will be over a raised cable. 
visible on the runway 1,476 feet from the approach end. Here are your questions. First, why is there a raised cable positioned on the runway? And second, based on this information, where should you plan to touch down on the runway? When you think you know the answer to those questions, go to atccommunication.com forward slash answers. There you will find complete answers to this week's questions, along with full explanation of how those answers were derived. Music for this show is provided by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com on a Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. If you're flying this week, I hope you have a great time and beautiful weather, and if something should ever go wrong in your airplane and you're concerned for your safety, do not hesitate to declare an emergency with ATC. Taking strong and positive action to ensure flight safety is always your first obligation as pilot in command. If that means declaring an emergency, do it. Period. I'm Jeff Canarish for ATCCommunication.com saying be well, keep in touch, and fly safe.